Okay, hold on. Good afternoon, my brothers and sisters. It's good to be here one more time with Pastor J.C. Mitchell. What an honor to have him every single week. And I know many of you are looking forward to hearing what God has placed in his heart. So right now, as we get ready to hear the word of God, we also going to have Delisa Dean sing a beautiful song for you today. Let us pray, my brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, I just wanna thank you for who you are, Father. Father, what an honor it is to serve you, my Lord. Father, I thank you for calling Pastor JC for a time as this, Lord God. I pray that you will open our spiritual ears to hear what you have for every single one of us. Father, I pray for Pastor JC right now that as he opens his mouth, you fill it, Lord God. Father God, use him mightily, Lord God. I pray that you will open those spiritual ears for everyone that needs to hear about you today. I pray that you will touch the hearts, the minds, Lord God. And I pray, Father God, that you will call them by name. I thank you, Lord, for his ministry for so many years over 70 years preaching the gospel. And today we have that honor to hear him one more time. We thank you for him. Bless him, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Today, I want us to pitch our mental tents at Calvary where Jesus Christ died. As we stand there on that hill outside of Jerusalem walls, we study the faces of some of the people there. These faces are so numerous that we shall consider them in four groups, the pathetic, the apathetic, the antipathetic, and the sympathetic. If you will look closely, you will find your face reflected in this representative pinch of humanity. We have come to a place of condemnation and execution. As we stand there before the three crosses, a cross of rebellion, a cross of repentance, and a cross of redemption. Let us study, first of all, the face of the suffering, dying Son of God. Above his head, there is an official announcement which says, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. As we stand there in that sea of scorn, with curses dashing up about his cross, we see compassion, love, as we've never witnessed. The rabble rocks and taunts him. Standing in that crowd are those who have taken the bread and the fish from the hands of Jesus, those who hailed him as king when a few days before he had come into the city. But now all that they had heard and seen, they tossed back into his teeth. 
Oh, Mr. Carpenter, you have nails in your hands, but no hammer. How are you going to build a temple on that cross? Come down, Mr. Miracle Worker. They had seen him as he raised the dead, as he had brought life to the withered limbs and caused the blind to see and the crippled to walk with joy. Even though they had seen these miracles, now they mock him. Mr. Miracle Man, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, come down. You say you're the son of God, come down and then we will believe. As we watch him, his pallid, parched, bleeding lips move. Is he crying for pity? As we listen, we hear him pray. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The one by whom the world was made, the one, the one by whom the world holds together could have called legions of angels to his rescue, but his thought was the Father's plan of salvation for mankind. He was bound to that cross by redeeming love. We see also in the face of Jesus, innocence and purity. He was every inch a man, tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. The scrutinizing interrogation of evil men that sought to convict him of sin and crime, but they convicted only themselves. Although his cross is planted between two murderous thieves, yet there is no trace of sin in his face or history. Those parched, bleeding lips had spoken only truth and love. Those gnarled hands from years of hard work in Joseph's carpenter shop had ministered to people in redeeming love. Those bleeding, dusty feet had forever walked in the way of obedience. This is the Lamb of God without spot, without blemish, the one who knew sin, who knew no sin, dying for sin, that sinful men might become the righteousness of God. No mortal with him can compare among the sons of men. Fairer is he than all the fair who fill the heavenly train. Human eyes, blinded by unbelief and sin, saw only a weak country preacher, a peasant who had come to the end of his way on a cruel Roman cross. But suddenly the skies grow dark, the crowd quietens, 
raising his feverish brow toward heaven, Christ calls, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? His enemies smile with satisfaction. Now even his God has left him. At last, this blasphemer was learning his lesson. How helpless this miracle worker had become. Now he is only a penniless, helpless, forsaken peasant dying on a Roman cross. What a tragic finale, concludes mankind. But wait, eternity speaks. God has something to say. Listen to the scriptures. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. As we look beyond the shame and weakness of this moment, friends, we discover love and truth that has transformed men and conquered nations. Never was suffering more triumphant. Never was silence more eloquent. Never was love more powerful. Never was meekness so mighty. Never was submission so plainly the way to victory. Never was rejected truth so unanswerable. Never was exhaustion so near omnipotence. Death. But Jesus Christ takes the cross of shame and death's apparent victory and transforms it into a lever to lift fallen men to the very heart of God. Yes, the cross was planted there as a dry, dead tree on a barren hill. Yet the cross lives. It has sent its roots down into the hearts of humanity. Nations have come under the shelter of this tower of defense, and men have found healing in its fruit. Although the cross was planted as a dry, dead thing, yet like Aaron's rod, it has blossomed. This is the instrument of God to forgive you of sin and change your life and give you purpose. The Bible says the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us being saved. It is the power of God and of salvation. Friend, try as you will, you cannot get Jesus and his blood out of the history of humanity. 
all the rains of the centuries have not been able to wash from that rotting wood of that deserted cross the blood stains of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The winds of history have been un unable to cover his footprints. The cross stands today as the revelation of God's love and power. Today, there are those standing there with indifferent faces, and these I classify as the pathetic. You recall it is the season of the Jewish Passover, and Jerusalem, the citadel of Judaism, is crowded with people from all walks of life and from many areas of the world. Their religion had degenerated into dead, dead ritualism and uninspiring ceremony. The news of the crucifixion spread like wildfire in Jerusalem and soon a great number were cut, were caught in the streams that moved out of the city to this place of execution. Look at them as they stand there, all ages, both men and women. They're from different occupations and different classes of people. Look at their sadistic faces. We see in those faces the pathos of sin. How pitiful as they stand there looking at the execution without realization what was taking place in the history. Do you see yourself there? This is an age of non-involvement, parasitic living. When, when men try to get fulfillment by observing the experiences of others. Someone has said that if Americans don't start using their minds, we're going to have eyes the size of peas and ears the size of cantaloupes. If I should point blank ask some of you today, what are you doing? Are you listening to do business with God? Like that pathetic crowd that watched Jesus, who had wandered there with the crowd, some of you would have to say, honestly, no, I haven't come to do business with God. But also in the, that crowd are the apathetic faces. In John 19, 23 and 24, we read of the soldier's part in the crucifixion. When their ghastly task was over, they sat down at the foot of the cross to divide their booty. There within a few yards of his sacred person, 
the soldiers spent time gambling for the poor threads of his robe, of his robe. But wait, before we condemn these that divided his sermons, ask, Lord, is it I? Without a personal touch of faith, you continue to play the role of these soldiers. The church has some promises and benefits. And like these soldiers, hardened and indifferent and unmoved by the suffering of Christ, so apathetically today, so many of you know only the story, but not the meaning of Christ who died. It's the sin of the ages. Someone has said that men sleep about altars, but remain unmoved by the cry for help coming from the four corners of the globe. Have you become insensitive, dulled by your selfishness and sin, and have drifted into a state of apathy? In the third place, we come and view the antipathetic faces. Today, when you mention the cross, most people think of a jewel-studded golden cross on an altar in the church or some ornament to be worn about the neck. But the cross of Jesus Christ meant the worst form of death in those ancient days. Death, Josephus the historian says, was the, was the worst form of suffering and death to be known to man. It's greater than death in the electric chair or by chemicals or whatever means. There are so many in the scriptures who qualify as being antipathetic. The Roman soldiers had antipathetic faces, but they do not stand alone. Their vile deed was by the order of Pilate. Yes, Pilate was included. He gave the orders for Christ to be crucified and Barabbas released. But it had not, if it had not been for the pressure of the high priest, I don't think that Pilate would have condemned Christ. Yes, these religious leaders certainly are to blame, but even though they were seared with the truth that they were straining at gnats at swallowing camels and made uncomfortable in their sins. They stood there pouring out long accumulated hatred. There are still others who are guilty of being the antipathetic. You and I were also responsible. 
There was the time in our lives, even though today we embrace Christ, that we were responsible for his death. Isaiah 53 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The testament of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. For Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The greatest depth of sin then and today is that we reject forgiveness. We reject God's love. We reject God's offer. Are you still among the antipathetic because you have not accepted his sacrifice and given your heart to him and surrendered your will to his life? And then in the fourth place, I ask that you give attention to some sympathetic faces. In that midst of sea of faces that was charged with hatred and contempt, Jesus saw from a distance some women who had ministered to him in Galilee because they loved him. They were there at the cross suffering with him. In fact, they would have died for him. Oh, such profound comfort and support, how it must have helped to sustain Jesus when he was dying. Other sympathetic faces are those of his mother, Mary, and John, the disciple. But the sympathetic face that I now want you to focus on is that of Nicodemus. In John 19.38, we read, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And then we read, oh, listen to this. And there came also Nicodemus. This is not the first time that we have seen Nicodemus on the stage of gospel history. We recall that early in the ministry of Jesus, Nicodemus the Pharisee came by night and heard the piercing words, you must be born again, Jesus told him. But we do not hear of Nicodemus again until some few months before this scene. The other Pharisees accused Nicodemus of being a disciple. In fact, Nicodemus secretly did believe, but now still a cowardly, quite 
believer, Nicodemus, refused to take a stand for Jesus Christ. But now we find at last through the scripture which I had read that Nicodemus was tired of being a secret disciple, of being a coward. It was a late hour for him to speak up, but it is better to be late than never speak up. It seems to me that we must give Joseph of Arimathea some credit for the courage which Nicodemus now has. His request and deed had brought courage to Nicodemus's heart and gave strength to his backbone. We read with great reverence the story of how Joseph and Nicodemus read with great reverence about the Lord Christ. And now they come like the tenderness of a mother, taking him into their arms. Now the deed bound their hearts and souls together. What an experience it must have been to have clasped hands with a brother disciple around the sacred body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We remind ourselves that there is no love, friendship, or fellowship like that of those united in showing love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely for the first time in the heart of Nicodemus, there was courage and satisfaction and peace. He was not ashamed of Christ. He had openly confessed. God's word says to you and me, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. My earnest prayer is that your face is now and will be in eternity discovered forever among the sympathetic. It may be that there is a Nicodemus listening to me now who out of fear and timid timidity have lived a secret discipleship life. But if you have not found peace and satisfaction and assurance because you have not taken your stand and cast your lot with God's people, God's word says to you, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is God's word to you and me today. I invite you right now, wherever you are, whatever you may have been doing, to stop 
and bow your head, close your eyes and look toward eternity and pray, Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned and lived a life of disobedience and unbelief. But now I open my life to your saving grace and your presence and your leadership. And I give myself to you and I will openly confess you and follow you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, I hope you have prayed that prayer. And if you have, then write us or contact us with the information that will be given to you at the end of this program. God bless you and keep you and lead you until we meet again next week. Amen. <laughs>